The word adorn there means to put in order or to decorate or to embellish. I like this one, to arrange in proper order so as to give symmetry, attractiveness, and beauty. You know what the word adorn is in the Greek? It's cosmeo. You know what word we get from that? Cosmetics. What's cosmetics? Makeup. What do we do makeup for? Well, people use makeup to arrange things and put things in proper order to give symmetry, attractiveness, and beauty. So the idea, Paul uses this word and he says that we should adorn ourselves, watch this, so that in everything they, we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The idea here is that our excellent behavior should be seen such that we make the doctrine of God attractive and beautiful to unbelievers. Our actions, how I carry myself should be makeup for God. How I talk should be makeup for the truth of God's word. So that when people see how I talk, say, wow, that's attractive. That's, that's symmetric. You know what, that's beautiful. I like that, I wanna be around that, I wanna see that. Paul says that that's how I'm supposed to live my life. That's the standard that God has for us so that others, the unbelievers, the people in Babylon will look at me and says, wow, he sure is making that truth of God's word look beautiful. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for July 8th, 2018. Today, Pastor Olu brings us a message called World Engines, Daniel, Biblical Truths Adorn in Excellence. Pastor Olu continues on the story of Daniel and unpacks how Daniel was able to effectively influence those around him with his excellent spirit. Now, Pastor Olu teaches us how we as Christians are to mirror Daniel's excellent spirit by adorning ourselves in biblical truth. Pastor Olu says that we as Christians are to act as God's makeup by bringing attractiveness to the doctrine of God through the way we live. Now, he'll be reading from the book of Daniel, so grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's Word here on Followers of the Way. We're in Daniel chapter 6. It took us a little while to get to 5. I think it just seems like it's a long time because I'm rotating with Paria, so technically it's probably not that long. It just appears that long. Daniel chapter 6, 70 years had passed since Nebuchadnezzar stormed into Jerusalem and captured Daniel and captured a bunch of young men and killed their parents, dragged them across the country to a whole new country, to a whole new world with a whole new religion, a whole new people, a whole new mindset, a whole new everything. And it had been, and when, as chapter 6 opened, it has been 70 years since chapter 1. So Daniel was an old man. He was about... 81, 82 years old. Daniel has seen some things being that old. He had seen devastating catastrophe. He'd been in excruciating pain, insufferable abandonment by God. He's seen intensive and coordinated, and we talked about this when we were in chapter one, what the Babylonians were doing to the children of Israel. He was in intense, coordinated, and carefully planned out aggressive strategic plans to totally change the essence of who he was, and that was the residence of the kingdom of God. We talked about that in chapter, chapter one, the enemy in Babylon has coordinated, planned out aggressive strategic plans for us to change the essence of who we are. 
He had seen prideful and absolute corrupt government leaders, officials who literally got away with murder at a whim. He's seen kingdoms appear out of nowhere, conquering the known world with unmatched force. He's seen seemingly indestructible nations rise and those same indestructible nations crumble to non-existence. He's seen kings come. He'd seen kings go. And in all this, he saw and experienced the faithfulness of El Imuna, in our words, the faithful God. God, time and time again, after Daniel had purpose in his heart, remember chapter one? He purposed in his heart. We talked about that. That means he resolved or he planted a flag of God's kingdom in his heart. He resolved, he purposed not to eat the king's meat. His friends in chapter three, they said, we will not serve, nor will we bow down. Because of their stance, God showed his faithfulness to them time and time again. So when we open up chapter six, it was a catastrophe. It was a cataclysmic. There it is. It was a cataclysmic. Shouldn't have tried to do it twice. Earth shattering event. And it was the fall of Babylon. So you got to understand what just happened at the end of chapter five. Right on the wall, Belshazzar called Daniel. Daniel told him what it was. The Bible says he gave him his robe, his medallions, whatever. And immediately Cyrus and the Medes of the Persians came in and destroyed Babylon and took over. What happened at that time at the end of the five, as we open chapter six, is Babylon had fallen. And you got to really understand what that means. Babylon was at the pinnacle of its magnificence, at the pinnacle. They were at the height of it. They were running the world. And in Babylon being destroyed, Daniel, as we know the story, continued to remain faithful to God. He continued to remain a faithful world engine. That's why I don't subscribe to the, uh, uh, the panic button for followers of Christ. Because when you, when you think about it, you look at what Babylon was, really understand what Babylon was, it's pretty much what America is today. You're talking about a nation who had the greatest military force on the planet Earth. You're talking about a nation that had the greatest technology. You're talking about a nation that had, they were pretty much running the world, not pretty much, they were literally running the world. And for that, something of that significance of magnificence to fall is similar to what's going on when we look at America today. And so when you look at what Daniel, he was at the height of Babylon. He was at the fall of Babylon, and he continued after that. It seems as though Daniel was not phased by what was going on around him one bit. He continued to be faithful to God. He continued not to compromise. He continued to speak with biblical boldness to those who were misusing their God-given authority. And so when I hear people today look around at the events that are going on in the world today and they start to panic and they start to stress out and they start to go crazy, it's the end of the world, it's all over, blah, 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 blah. I think about Daniel. Think about what he saw and what he experienced, what he went through, and, and the craziness that he saw, and to see this magnificent nation, empire, destroyed overnight. Yet the Bible says, and as you read chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, he continued to remain faithful. 
In order to do that, we must be like Daniel. We must resolve. We must purpose in our hearts. We must plant that flag of God's kingdom in our hearts. Say this, my heart, my mind, my soul, my body is where God's kingdom resides. And because of what Daniel did, he was able to be faithful. We must refuse with biblical boldness to conform. We don't want to conform to this world or bow down to Babylon like the Hebrew boys did. We need to keep our mind stayed on God. I like that verse in Isaiah chapter 26. If we keep your mind stayed on God, as you do this in the midst of devastating catastrophe, keep your mind stayed on God in the midst of excruciating pain. Keep your mind stayed on God when you feel, oh, God has abandoned you. When people are planning to destroy you, when you see your leaders and people in authority and people in the government being prideful or corrupt or wishy-washy, when you see kingdoms come and go and kings come and go, in all of that, the Bible says that he will keep us in perfect peace if our mind is stayed on him. And so we have to keep our mind stayed on God. We do that by constantly thinking about God, constantly studying the word of God, constantly fellowshipping with the brothers and sisters in Christ, constantly sharing the word of God. And in doing that, we keep our mind stayed on God and he will keep us in perfect peace, no matter what the turmoil is going around us. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, Paul kind of says the same thing as he goes over the armor to fight in spiritual warfare. The last thing he talks about is before he talks about the sword of the spirit, the last thing he says is, and their feet fit with the good news of peace. When I was little, I used to always wonder, like, okay, we got the shield of faith, got the breastplate of righteousness, okay, you got the belt, you know what I'm saying, you got the sword, and you got some shoes, like, and the shoes of peace. Like, this whole thing is talking about battling and fighting. What's up with the shoes of peace? It just didn't make sense to me. But as I learned and as I studied, I understood what that, mean, what that meant. It says your feet are shod or your feet are fitted with the good news of peace. And you think about in the Roman soldiers in those days, they had uh, all those sandals on with all those things that they had on. And those sandals had a very, very thick leather at the bottom. The reason was for traction. They were going up slippery slopes. And they needed traction going through that. It was for protection. Nails and rocks and thorns were on the ground, but those shoes gave them protections. They were able to grip for security while they were attacking. You know, you have to get your, hold your ground, and as you're attacking, you need to attack. And they were also able to stand firm as they were being attacked, all because the shoes was on their feet. And the thing then, when the Bible says their feet was fit with the good news of peace, the good news of peace is that the war is over. Not necessarily the war that the Romans were fighting in, but the war between God and man. That's what the war was. And because of what Christ worked on Calvary, what he did for us, and by us accepting that, the Bible says that there is no more enmity between God and man. There's no more condemnation for us who are in Christ because the war is over. God's wrath has been removed. And because the war is over with God, we can be at peace. And that's where our strength comes from. As we see the world collapsing around us, as we see craziness in the news, as we hear about this shoe, school getting shot up, as we hear about this guy doing this and this cop doing this and this thing happening and all this stuff going on, we as a body of Christ can remain in perfect peace because our mind is stayed on God and our feet are fit with the good news 
of peace, knowing that the battle between God is over. That means I am now not an enemy of God. I'm a friend of God. And now that I'm a friend of God, he got me, no matter what goes on around me. And we need to remember that as we go through life. And so we start Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius. I heard some people pronounce it Darius, but I've called it Darius all my life. So I think we're just going to keep going with Darius. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Yeah, we talked about those before. Remember, they were blowing the trumpet and went everybody about. They were like the presidents or, or, or councilmen. They were over certain areas of the town, of the country. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. So what happened, they had all the people of the land. It was Medes and Persians. And what they did was they broke this down into 120 Rulers for this area, 120 rulers for this area, and 120 rulers for this area. Okay, this is all the entire kingdom of the Medes and the Persians there. What's Babylon? That's the Medes and the Persians. And so they put 120 presidents or councilmen or governors, however you want to call it, to rule this area, this area, and this area. And what they did was, over the 120, they put one guy to be in charge of this 120, one guy to be in charge of this 120, and one guy to be in charge of this 120. And we know that the Bible says one of those guys was Daniel. And their responsibility to give an account so that the king might not suffer loss. So their responsibility was to take care of the king, make sure nobody got over on the king, make sure nobody took the king's money, king's land, king's food, so on and so forth. Verse 3, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then, verse 4, the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could not find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So it was Daniel, two other guys who were in charge of their 120 each. And the Bible says, we'll call this guy guy one. I don't know his name. We'll call this guy guy two. So they got one, guy two, and we had Daniel. And the Bible says in verse three, this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit was in him. When we look at that word, uh, remember this portion of the Bible is written in Aramaic. When we look at that word distinguished, that word has the idea of to exhibit or to show a difference, to be distinct. When they translated this in the Hebrew, they used the word for brilliance or for brightness. And so the Bible says that Daniel set himself apart or was distinct or stood out or shone bright amongst the other guys. Distinguished means, look at Webster, means to separate one thing from another by some mark or some quality. And so the Bible says that 
in all this that was going on, while Daniel was working, he had a job, he had a nine to five, he had responsibility, he had people working for him, he had co-workers he had to get along with, he had a big boss who was a king who he had to deal with. In all that, the Bible says that as everything was going on, Daniel distinguished himself. He became distinct. He shone bright. There was some brilliance about him in compared to the other guys. The reason for that brilliance, the Bible says in verse three, is because of his excellent spirit. The word there, excellence, has to do with extraordinary or outstanding or superior or that which exceeds usual expectation. Matter of fact, it's the same word that they translated when Jesus said, I give you life and life more abundantly. It's the same word there, that more abundant spirit. Bible says he worked in excellence. He was superior. He exceeded the usual expectations. And so when we put those two things together, what we see is that Daniel, while in Babylon, after being there for 70 years, after seeing all that stuff he's seen, the Bible says that Daniel worked or his actions were such that he set himself apart from the others because he outshined them by the work or his actions that he was doing because of his excellent, superior spirit that he had. He had an idea of excellence. He operated in excellence. He operated saying, okay, what's normal? What's expected? I'm going to shoot higher than that. That's what Daniel did. And looking at that and reading that about Daniel, I started to think about my standards because Daniel had a standard. His standard was, what's the norm? Okay, I'm going to jump that. hundred times bigger than that. What's expected of me? No, I'm not going to stop at what's expected of norm. See, that's what these guys were doing. They were doing the norm. They were doing everything they were supposed to do. You might say they were getting C's. That's what C's means, average. You do exactly what you're supposed to do. The Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he did more than the norm. He exceeded in his things and his actions and everything that he put his hand to. And so I started thinking about what's the standard? That was his standard in Babylon. He wasn't satisfied with just chilling. He wasn't satisfied with just being a statistic. He wasn't satisfied with just doing status quo, stat quo. The Bible says that Daniel stood out. And so I looked through the Bible and said, okay, what is the standard for us as believers? What, how, does, how does God see us? What does God expect of us? What does God demand of me as I operate in Babylon? Because remember, Daniel is looking at how do I, body of Christ, someone in the kingdom of God, operate when I'm outside of that kingdom in the kingdom of Babylon. So turn me to the book of Micah. So a couple of things. Micah is still in the Old Testament. Near the end. If you go backwards, you go Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Nahum, then you get the map. I was reading it, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you would go backwards all the way, but in Micah chapter 6, verse 6, the prophet is giving an indictment. Actually, it's the Lord. The Lord is giving an indictment. He said, hear what the Lord says. He starts chapter 6. So he's telling the people what God says. In Micah 6, 6, it says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? 
Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good. God has already let you know what he's looking for. So here's the standard. And what does the Lord require of you? Okay, Lord, what do you require of me, O Lou Bolden? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly before your God. And so the standard that God has set for those who are under him, those who are in his kingdom, is to do these things. To do justice. I like, I like how they put do there. It's just a verb. That means I should live a morally correct behavior and live with morally correct thinking. That means my thinking and my actions should be based correctly with my morals. I should have correct morals in those areas. The Bible says that to love kindness, to love goodness. In Ephesians 4.32, Paul says the same thing. He says, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And so my responsibility, the standard that God holds me to, is to be kind. And that last one he said, to do justice, to love kindness, and then Michael 6, 8, to walk humbly with your God. There should be a sense of humility in the way I carry myself, a sense of humility how I walk, humility as I talk. The word walk, we talked about in Ephesians, the word walk has to do with your routine your practice, your everyday life, how you get down, what you do. There should be some modesty there. That modesty means don't attempt to impress others with an appearance of greater importance or talent than you already have. That's what it means to be modest. Don't try to be something you're not. And so the Bible says that my standard, like Daniel, is to have morally correct behavior. That means I have to look at how I act and make sure that it lines up with the morals that Christ talks about. That means I have to look at how I think and make sure it lines up with those morals. That's what Daniel did. The Bible said Daniel distinguished himself. He made himself distinct. He shone with brightness and brilliance above everyone else, all his peers. You need to make sure that we do that and make sure that we're humble while we're doing that. Flip over to Titus chapter 2, verse 10. Titus is in the New Testament. Right before Philemon's, right after 2 Timothy. Titus chapter 2. We had a message in Titus. We've been doing this for a while. Messages everywhere. When we talked about Titus, we talked about sound doctrine. Remember we were at the uh, Winter Park. Titus chapter 2, verse 10. Paul said, I would love to read the whole thing. Well, I am. That's what I'm going to do. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Remember that. Put your finger there on sound doctrine because that's what he's talking about in this whole passage. Older men ought to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, ought to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They ought to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. 
Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Younger men, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. These are standards that God is holding us to. You say, I didn't like those other ones. It was the Old Testament. Well, okay, here's some standards in the New Testament that God is holding us to. Young men, show yourself in respects to be a model of good works. You know what a model is? They, they pick models for certain reasons. You know, if, if you're a hand model, I don't even know that's real, but if you're a hand model, it's because you got like banging hands. And it's the hands that everyone should want. And your hands should look like this. You know, if you're a runway model, Usually you have the body type or the face type or the clothes that everyone should look at. So it's, it's, hey, how should I look? Oh, you should look like that person. And so Paul says here that young men, you should show yourself to be a model of good works. So if I want to know if the world, Babylon wants to know what a good works look like, they should be able to look at Jaden and say, oh, that's what good works look like. They look like Jaden. All right, let me get up. And in your teaching, young men, you should be teaching, show integrity, dignity again, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Verse 8, bond servants who are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I want to look at that part right there. So in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Adorn the doctrine. We're talking about standard. What's my standard? What am I supposed to look like? How do I be like Daniel in Babylon? Paul told Timothy, and, and, and these all these things, as you notice, he told the young men to be dig dignified, he told the old women to be dignified. So all of these attributes they all go back to sound doctrine, and so they apply to all of us. And so when we get down, though he, he talked about to adorn yourself in the doctrine of our Savior, he was talking to the servants, people that work for somebody, this applies to all of us. The word adorn there means to put in order or to decorate or to embellish. I like this one. To arrange in proper order so as to give symmetry, attractiveness, and beauty. You know what the word adorn is in the Greek? It's cosmeo. You know what word we get from that? Cosmetics. What's cosmetics? Makeup. What do we do makeup for? Well, people use makeup to arrange things and put things in proper order to give symmetry, attractiveness, and beauty. You think about makeup today. Makeup can cost a pretty penny. One day I went to find some uh, brushes for my wife to put her makeup on. And I was pleasantly surprised at the amount of funds that were required to also surprise the amount of different brushes they were. I was like, so seriously, why, why are there 25 brushes? I mean, just get a brush. But anyway, the, the cost was incredible. You look at Maybelline and Mac and, and, and those are the only two I know, and the rest of them. <laughs> And you think about the amount of money that's there in that industry. Why? Because people want to be symmetric. People want to look attractive. People want to feel beautiful. And so they do all these things. They even got it so you can get stuff in the mail once a month. You get a box and you open up a certain makeup for this, a certain makeup for that, and makeup for this. Birch box and play Sephora with a couple of few that have graced our door jams. But the situation is it's a big business. Why? Because people want to 
be adorned. People want to look beautiful. People want to look attractive. People want to look symmetric in their face. So the idea, Paul uses this word, he says that we should adorn ourselves, watch this, so that in everything they, we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The idea here is that our excellent behavior should be seen such that we make the doctrine of God attractive and beautiful to unbelievers. Our actions, how I carry myself should be makeup for God. How I talk should be makeup for the truth of God's word. So that when people see how I talk, say, wow, that's attractive. That's, that's symmetric. You know what? That's beautiful. I like that. I want to be around that. I want to see that. Paul says that that's how I'm supposed to live my life. That's the standard that God has for us so that others, the unbelievers, the people in Babylon will look at me and says, wow, he sure is making that truth of God's word look beautiful. She sure is making that truth of God's word seem attractive. Our spirit-enabled habitual behavior causes the truth about God to be beautiful, causes the truth about God to be beautifully decorated, continually radiating the beauty of Christ and the hope of glory. You think about how makeup works. You just don't go out and pick out a color and throw it on your face. You got to test it out and you got to make sure it matches. You know, you go in and you know, they look at your skin tone. And uh, I know when I go buy Melissa makeup or something, it's like, uh, okay, what skin tone is she? No, first, what colors does she like? Listen, I, she likes colors. What skin tone is she? Ah, uh, that person, skin tone. I, I don't know the exact names of it. But this is important information. Why? Because... You want the makeup not to stand out or to be harsh or, ugh, uh, woo, that's too bold. You want the makeup to be, oh, that's, that fits you perfectly. And so when Paul says that we are to adorn, we are to be makeup for the doctrine of God, that means that I should fit the doctrine of God perfectly. I should blend in nice with it. And so when they see me and see the doctrine of God and see what the truth of the word says, they're like, oh, man, that's beautiful. That's amazing. Who did your makeup? You heard people say that? Oh, what makeup you got on? Oh, who did, oh, her makeup was banging. That's how Babylon should look at me. Why? Because my actions, when I'm controlled by the Spirit, my behaviors, my everyday motions, causes the truth of God to be beautiful because of how I'm living. As we are taught sound doctrine, because remember I told you to put your finger on sound doctrine in Titus chapter 2, because that was the premise of all this. As we are taught sound doctrine, we are required now to live it. So as we hear sound doctrine in the church, as we hear sound doctrine in the radio, as we read sound doctrine, it is a requirement that I adorn that with my actions. I like that word adorn too because it, it also has the idea of an ornament. When you think about putting ornaments on a Christmas tree. You know, you could just have a Christmas tree in your house and it's cool. It'll smell like pine. But, you know, you take time, you put balls on it, you put that uh, shiny, shiny, shiny stuff all around it. You put lights on it. You get lights tangled up on it. One bulb go out and you're mad. You can't figure it out. You throw it out. You go buy another one. All this stuff going on. Why? Because you're going to make the tree beautiful with your ornaments. And that's what the Bible says that my actions are. And so as the body of Christ, saints, 
Let's make sure that we live a standard, make sure that our standard is a biblical standard and it's a standard according to Scripture so that the world will look at us and say, wow, they are making God look beautiful. Wow. That thing about Jesus, that thing about God, that church, that whole body of Christ, that whole living right, that whole walking right seems attractive to me. I want to find out more about that. We're going to get into uh, later on as we keep going in Daniel chapter 6. Look at what happened because Daniel was that. Because Daniel distinguished himself. He moved in brilliance. He moved in excellence. Because of that, the Bible says in verse 4, back in chapter 6 of Daniel, that the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they couldn't find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. When you live a life of standard, when you live a life trying to be distinct, when you live a life distinguishing yourself away from the norm, when you live a life being more excellent than what's expected, when you live a life based on what God has done for you, based on who God is, when you live a life like Daniel, that he could say, I've resolved, I've purposed in my heart that I'm not going to do this. That he could say, I pitched my tent of the kingdom of God on my heart. When he said, I will not bow, I will not serve. When you live at that level of standard, other folk around you are going to get upset. Not because they hate and not because they're jealous, just because of the makeup that we are. We're showing beauty. We're making the truth look beautiful, and people don't like the truth. And so they sought out to get him. We're going to see how Daniel handled that situation. But as we close, remember a few things that we said today. Don't panic when you see the world going crazy, when things are going around. Because of we are in Christ, and the Bible says if we keep our minds stayed on him, he will give us perfect peace. And so we, we get into the peace of God, who he is and what he's done for us. And you can stand firm no matter what happens because our feet are shod or fit with the good news of peace. Thanks, Ephesians chapter six. And then make sure that everything you do, be it at home, be it outside of the home, be it in your mind, be it uh, your thinking, your attitude, how you interact with family members, how you interact with others. How you share the word of God, make sure, like Daniel, it is extraordinary. It's excellence. It's outstanding. It's superior. Make sure that we do what we can in our lives so we can show ourselves to be different. And as we do that, we can be the makeup or the cosmetics for the truth of the word of God. We can adorn ourselves so that others may look at God's word and say, oh, my goodness, how he's living makes God look beautiful. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. We thank you, Lord, as we start in Daniel chapter six, already so much packed into uh, uh, this portion of scripture, God. I pray, God, that you would help me, God, to live a life of excellence. It should help me, God, to not just settle for standard, but I would, like Daniel, God, distinguish myself among those around me because of my actions and my attitude are lined up with the truth of your word. And I pray, God, that I will be able to make your word and the truth of your word look beautiful and attractive and symmetric to the world so they can want to know how I have this peace. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way. 